Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and SourceFind Asia. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ahmed Abule, who's actually a guy who's been listening to my podcast for two years. He reached out to me last year when I was looking to potentially bring in, you know, interns to to China or somebody who wanted to, you know, do like an understudy under us, um, under us, and it didn't quite work out just because uh, Ahmed is is quite an experienced entrepreneur, and I think. Sort of the position I he was way too he basically was overqualified he was way too qualified for the position, and uh, but then we kept in touch and and he's he's selling on Amazon and he came to China for the Canton Fair last year and we met and we hung out a couple times and eventually a few months after that we did this podcast and uh, you know he's a very very interesting guy very well traveled um, very good life philosophies uh very good guy as well i really enjoyed hanging out with him and talking to him on this podcast so this podcast is going to be split into part one and part two this is part one so yeah you know look out for part two part two is going to come out the next week and then other announcements don't forget to check out the youtube channel source find asia youtube channel it's all one word uh we have two videos up right now uh that that just got released recently. Is it a trading company or a factory? One is a quick pro tips. Uh, actually, the video was me was recorded when I was in Zambia, Southern Africa. So there's a little tour of my my childhood home. And then, uh, is it a factory or a trading company? Deep dive plus case study. I have a story about something that happened to me recently with a trading company trying to pretend to be a factory and trying to get, pull one over on on your boy Ricos. But to experience for that. Anyways, uh, without further ado, please enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So just maybe let's start off with you giving people uh, a little bit of background and then maybe jump into how we met and then we can start talking. Yeah, definitely. Um, first and foremost, um, you know, I've been been really interested in just a little bit about me. I, I travel quite a bit and China has always been this country that I don't know much about. Uh-huh. And whenever I ask people about it, you know, I don't think they can tell me much about it. So when I was initially going to China, a lot of my friends were asking me why. Um, and of course, you know, I say, why not? I ask them, what, what do they know about China? And most people can't tell me anything about China. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of like this, this unknown region that you hear about, but you don't really know much about. So it originally just sparked my interest started doing my own research uh, in regards to culture, the country in itself, and of course, business, which is probably the main driver in why I ended up coming. And I started looking up, you know, different things. I actually posted on Reddit trying to get some advice. Mm -hmm. And Harrison actually uh, was one of the people that sent me a message. And we connected back, we discussed, you know, talked back and forth, and I asked him for some resources to help out and he actually recommended you know the source find asia uh podcast so i started listening to listen he, re- he recommended did you recommend the podcast or he just sent you to my website i think he sent you to the source find asia website and then you you came across no, he, the he, made in china podcast he, rec- through it. he recommended the podcast he said you should ah. check out this podcast and oh, then okay. and then yeah and and um you know, I started listening to it and, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with podcasts prior to this. So to me, it was just, it was very easy. It wasn't like a challenge yep. um, to just jump into podcasts. And it was just one episode after another. And I was like, all right, this guy seems like he really knows what he's talking about. And he, you really kind of set the setting for me um, as far as, you know, sourcing and different things and just kind of doing business in China. So nice. for me, it was a good introduction. And I think it was like your second podcast that I listened to, it was like talking about this internship opportunity. And it was just like, it sparked <laughs> my interest because I was like, I want to go to China. Like that was kind of my, my goal was to kind of find a way to get to China, mm-hmm. to live there and work from there. And I saw this internship opportunity. 
Um, and sure enough, like reached out. Um, it didn't, we, you know, it didn't end up working out. But I mean, again, it was awesome that I still was able to get out there, you know, meet you, meet you face to face, and we ended up hanging well, out. Yeah, it worked out in a different way, right? Like we ended up uh, yeah, hanging yeah. out here and becoming friends. So like, it's still. I mean, there's still who knows what the future holds. But like, at the end of the day, the value was maybe just becoming friends and you coming here and seeing how uh, how things go here and me taking you around a little bit like piquing your interest and the the interesting conversations that we had when you're here um yeah you know what's funny i just i i think i already told you this but like at the time when harrison sent you the podcast we were together in this place called huyuan i took harrison and carl you didn't meet carl but i took them like to, on like a boys trip so we went to this small city called Huryuan it's by a lake and we were like hanging out in bathrobes going, <laughs> going to like going to like get uh, a full body spa and like you know just hang out in, in like hot springs and Harrison's like yeah you know I met this guy on Reddit he, he, I'm gonna send him a link to your, your podcast or whatever and then you know I think uh, like the next day or two days later, you you'd already like submitted uh, application for the internship thing. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely. Uh, um, it's amazing sometimes when you really want something, how the signs just kind of oh man leads you to to where you need to go. Just a just a tangent. Um, there's a guy in my office, like in on the same floor as me. He runs an import uh, whiskey import business, so he imports like high-end whiskeys from Ireland, Japan, um, girls, Ireland, Japan, Taiwan. I didn't know Taiwan had whiskey until yesterday, but yeah, we were hanging out yesterday, and he was like showing me all these different whiskeys, and then he tells me he's like, "Hey, man, like you run a sort." He's Chinese, so he obviously he didn't say like, "Hey, man," but like, anyways, uh, he, he was like, "Hey, dude, like." Uh, you run a sourcing company, right? So if you have any clients that need like packaging, uh, potentially like whiskey packaging or any sort of like a bo- like like sort of uh, box packaging and like corks and stuff like that, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm your guy. So literally, the next day, I get an inquiry on the website, and it's a guy in Ireland who imports whiskey. Uh, it sells whiskey, and he's like. I need packaging. I need whiskey packaging. <laughs> and I was like, hey, what are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah. I mean, I've never had anybody give me an inquiry for whiskey packaging. I didn't even, it wasn't even on my radar. You know what, you know what I mean? Like if he asked me yesterday, I would have been like, I have no idea. <laughs> if I got that inquiry yesterday, I would have been like, oh, that's something I need to do research on. But then, you know, he asked me today, so I just went down the hall and I was like, hey, remember you mentioned whiskey packaging? Can I have those contacts? He's like, yeah, sure. And, he, you know, it's like life is so crazy sometimes, man. But yeah. So I had, I had an interesting story when I was in, in Shaman. Um, I was, so something I kind of, where was I headed? Uh, I was trying to find this this market and um, I couldn't explain how to get to it on a tax to a taxi driver. So mm-hmm. I was told to go to ride this specific bus mm-hmm. and I'm running to the bus and I completely got the buses. You can't pay them through WeChat. Yeah. You can only pay them with RMB and I didn't have any coins on me. cash. Sure enough. And I'm already running to the bus and I'm like, all right, I'll figure it out. I'm just going to hop on the bus and I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll send somebody money through WeChat and try to get some coins or something. And sh- Sure enough, I run up to the bus and on the doorstep, on the like where the stairs are on the ground, I found one RMB coin just like shining <laughs> on the ground. I'm sitting there looking at it like no way that this is possible. I pick it up, drop it in, and it was just sitting there. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, man, there's there's definitely some some higher power right now so helping me out. Sort of, <laughs> this is a sign. Yeah, that's yeah. So I mean, yeah. Speaking of that, obviously that's how we met, um, and then you ended up deciding to come to China, regardless. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about what brought you to China? Obviously, you said, you know, this is a place that you'd been interested in for a while, but you, you know, you pulled the trigger and you you came down. Yeah. So I um, um, typically before I travel, I like to do a lot of research, mm-hmm. um, kind of to give me the best bang for my buck when it comes to, and of course not wasting time. So I ended up actually booking a one month trip 
a uh, little longer than what most people, you know, book when they come to China. So for me, I had. I, I recommend. I recommend, especially if you come around the Canton Fair, I recommend one month. I think that's what makes sense because it's like, if you come and let's say you do find a manufacturer at the fair. It's going to take two to three weeks to set up the order, you know, and you have to visit them. And they're not always like located. In fact, most of the time, they're not located in Guangzhou or Guangdong province. The, the, the factories that go to the fair tend to be like in northern China, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I agree. You, you did it right. And man. I did it. Yeah, I did it. I did three weeks at the Cannes Fair, which again is probably a little longer than normal. Mm. Uh, actually, about two, two and a half weeks. And, um, you know, I went to all three phases, which is something that I really just wanted to experience. I wanted to get an idea of what products are out there and, you know, go into the fair. If, it, if this is your first time to China, mm-hmm. go into the fair and, and business is your interest. Going to the fair is, I think, probably the best decision I made because I was able to see any product that you can imagine on the market, meet suppliers, uh, make the connections. And I mean, even at the fair, there's a lot of networking going on. You know, I was able to meet people left and right. Um, and during those, t- during, during the uh, Canton Fair convention, you know, there's a lot of meetups and a lot of events happening. So I was kind of doing research on, on that prior to going. So that way I kind of you know, had a plan. So, okay, you know, this day I'm going to hit up the fair. And this evening, you know, I'll hit up this event. Um, I saw on Amazon that's kind of one of the one of the things that I do. So for me, there was like Amazon seller meetups that I was able to attend, and there you're shaking hands with people that are clearing anywhere between seven hundred fifty to a million dollars in sales a month. Yeah. So these guys have a lot of knowledge. Um, they know the ins and outs, you know, of e-commerce. Um, I mean, and in, in going, you know, again, even on the train, I like to talk to everyone. I socialize. I'm, I'm a watcher. I like to. I like to watch and just understand kind of people's, especially, you know, the Chinese understand kind of their way of thinking. And it's very difficult to, you know, if you don't speak Chinese, it's very difficult to understand the Chinese mindset. So for me, watching is is kind of one way that I learn. Mm -hmm. And through watching, you know, I was able to pick up a lot. But at the same time, it would also initiate a conversation with someone on the train as to ask them a question or, or whatever it may be. Um, and you know, just talking to people on talking to people on the train, uh, you know, I was able to make a lot of connections as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I, I kind of jumped into China Camp Fair. It was sort of one of the reasons I went. The second half of my trip was to visit my current suppliers and visit their manufacturing plants. So uh, to be- check those out. Yeah, and before you jump into the second half of your trip, um, I wanted to point out something. Is uh, I should do a podcast about this. There's a lot of stuff that goes on around the fair that people don't know about. So I think a lot of people, they just know about the fair, right? But they have no idea about all these Amazon meetups and stuff like that because a lot of these meetups are organized by people that are based here. And then, you know, we kind of have like a tight-knit, community it's it's very interesting when you when you're in china for like a year especially if you're in like guangzhou uh shenzhen dongwon area like you end up meeting everybody or or at least you meet somebody who knows somebody else who knows you like it's always like that so we have all these fba meetups uh there's more there's like crowdfunding meetups there's um iotb like but this is all done around the fair because they know that most people will be like most people will come to the to the fairs, or they'll come to China around that time. Uh, we also have the EC meetups, Enter China. Maybe not so much as not so much now, but before traditionally the meetups were always around the fair, and a lot of people didn't even go to the fair; they just came for the meetups. You know, so that's something that I think a lot of people don't know about, and just wanted to make sure that people caught that. Mm-hmm. That's actually that's a good point, and even I think. Out of those meetups that you go to, you'll learn about other meetups that are happening. Yep, yep. Um, and so a lot of this stuff is marketed on WeChat. So like, y- the people that don't have WeChat, they will never know like when these meetups are. Like you probably came down. You already had WeChat. You came down. I added you to a few groups. You met some people. They added you, and then that's how you know about all these like events. For sure, for sure. Have you discussed WeChat on your podcast before? Uh, a bunch of times, but uh, you know, okay. I'm not sure if people 
I'm not sure people understand the, the, the power of it. I think people just think of it like, oh, that's something that happens in China kind of thing. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like, I'm, I'm gonna, so I'm, I, I plan on sharing this podcast kind of with, with my friends who I have not told about WeChat. So I just kind of want to quickly break it down and just how much I absolutely love WeChat mm-hmm. compared to any other app that I have on my phone. Um, I think if you have never heard of it, you should definitely look into it just to kind of see what it's about. WeChat is an application that's almost like Facebook, WhatsApp, and I, uh, you know, a light preview of Apple Pay all in, all in one. And it has, also has like Didi, which is also the Uber feature of it. Now, WeChat for me was probably one of the biggest game changer um, in the entire process of my trip. Uh, it has a translate feature, so I was able to talk to a lot of people who I couldn't communicate with by just adding them to WeChat and just typing in English. They would able to tra- they'd be able to trans- translate it in Chinese, and then um, I would be able to translate Chinese into English. Of course, there's the pay feature, you know, where you can pay for anything, and you know, um, you can go to to the mall, buy clothes, you can go to the grocery store. And buy groceries, but at the same time, you can find a guy selling fruit on the side of the road, and he even accepts WeChat, and so does the taxi driver. So, yeah. I thought that was just a very interesting um, experience, uh, part part of part of the experience of my trip in China. Yeah, it accelerates your payment. But like, you can be in. Let's let's say there's a. Let's give an example. It's more relatable. Let's say, let's say you wanted to go to a new concert. Let's say Drake's in town or whatever. You're on WeChat, and then you see this, you know, in a group chat. Hey, you know, Drake's performing in 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 my city. Oh, that's awesome. You click on the link. You go to the link. You read. Oh, Drake's going to be this time, that time, this venue. You're like, yeah, I want to go. By the end of the link, it says, uh, "Buy your ticket now." All you do is scan the QR code. And then it, you pay for the, the the ticket directly in WeChat through the QR code. Mm-hmm. It already has your information. It knows your name. It has your phone number. Then that's all you need to pick up your ticket. You know, or you Pretty get amazing, or, yeah. or you get a QR code within WeChat that you can then take to the venue and scan to to get into the concert. Like it just accelerates the speed in in which you pay for stuff i know a lot of people in china who just don't carry cash anymore uh, some of my employees there've been situations where uh let's say they paid for something and then i i had cash on me and i was like you know what, let me give you cash instead of doing like a, a bank thing or which and they were just like i don't want the cash and i was like yeah. what the hell man like i don't want the cash cash is dirty I'm just, yeah. like, I'm just like, I'm just like, what's going on? I love having cash in my wallet, man. Like, I, you know, it makes. I don't. It's just that physical thing of like, my wallet's thick. I'm old school like that. I still, no, I still I use WeChat tremendously, but like, I love having cash in my wallet. I know the feeling, man. I'm, I'm still. The, even when I was in China, I'd have a couple hundred RMB just because I was like, if my phone's dead, I can at least get around. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I go through situations where I have two to three hundred RMB in my wallet for like a month and I don't touch it but it's just like just having it there you know so it's kind of interesting you mentioned that I think even I read this article a while back and um, I've kind of followed it for quite a bit and and I you know I do see a psychological difference they say that carrying a hundred US dollars in your wallet shifts your confidence level almost to to knowing that if something was to happen, you can you got pay. Cash money, man. Yeah, you can pay for it or whatever it is. You can figure something out. So, and it's kind of like they'll say, like when you travel, you should always carry like an expensive watch or uh, an expensive gold chain. That way, if you don't have, if you run out of money, you can you, you can always sell that. You know, for worst case scenarios. But of course, now with WeChat, you don't need any of that anymore. And I think, you know, it's interesting uh, how they. They quickly adapted to that. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the cash thing. There's two parts to it. Definitely, the confidence thing is 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 a big part of it. Um, when I have, you know, like like I have maybe let's say 500 or 1,000 RNB in my wallet, which is yeah, sometimes I do that. Uh, I feel good, man. Like I feel feel good about having that in my wallet. Just like you said, if anything goes wrong, I've got cash. Um, if my phone dies, I can pay for stuff. 
Um, I, at the same time, I don't have to pull out my bank cards, you know. Uh, and then the second part is spending physical cash. There's also there's also studies on this. Like spending physical cash makes you think a little bit more about what you're buying. Mm. Whereas when, I spent, yeah, I spent way too much money using WeChat, not yeah, realizing because you don't like it's it's like a video game. Like you're just oh okay, it's, it's too easy. Yeah, yeah it's it's too oh, easy. let me just put my thumb on on the on the touch screen here and like scan it and then put my thumb for the print and then we're done. Like I don't even. I don't even have notifications on my phone. Like I turn off my notifications, so I don't even see the money like leaving my bank account until I check. Yeah, you know. Whereas, like, if you have physical cash and you're like, "Dude, I had five hundred RMB, which is like, let's say eighty dollars, or you know, in in your wallet," and then like you spend it, and then you're down to ten bucks, you're like, "Whoa, I spent seventy dollars, man!" Like you're like, <laughs> you have that you have that moment where you catch yourself, right? But yeah. exactly. And I think that kind of explains why China is such a, I mean, they're a consumer society. Yes. And I think WeChat is not helping by any means. I was reading some some stats on WeChat and it talked about how much people were spending and using the app. And it was, it was showing that in almost two years, the spending doubled. And we're talking billions of dollars. Mm. The spending had doubled from like 2014 to 2016. It's, it's tens of billions because... Literally, uh, there's this thing called eleven eleven. It happens once a year. It's a it's a Chinese equivalent of Black Friday, and it happened eleven eleventh of November. This was uh, last weekend. Oh, please, oh. yeah, twenty five billion dollars spent on Taobao in yeah. one day. In one Amazing. day, twenty five billion dollars. Taobao for the people for the uninitiated is the equivalent of Amazon in China. Um, and it's it's owned by it's owned by uh, Tension that owns Alibaba as well. So yeah, no, I mean it's crazy. Twenty five billion in a day, like. And then there was a holiday, uh, early October, where it was like a week a week holiday. It was a national holiday at, and uh, mid autumn festival. Uh, China. Uh, Chinese people spent, I think it was, I want to say it was between ten to twenty billion dollars traveling. You know, wow! Just traveling during that vacation, so it's like, yeah, this is definitely a consumer market, and you know, the more and more I think about it, the more and more time I spend in China, it's like always. I'm always thinking about how do we crack the the code because there aren't that many foreign-owned businesses mm-hmm. that have been able to come into this market successfully. And we talked about that, you know, when during my trip there is it's kind of like you you mentioned yourself. I asked you, it was like, you know, how many people do you know? And you said, I know three people yep. from the West yep. that have been able to crack the Chinese market. But you said this one thing that made me think different. And you said not one of them was able to do it without, without a, a Chinese, Chinese business partner. partner. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I'm uh, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it, but like, I think I found somebody that I could do stuff with. Uh, I've known him for awesome, I've known him for two plus years, uh, you know, through the manufacturing space, and I, and that's the other part of this that I talked to you about is like it's very difficult to find somebody like that unless you're here for an extended period of time, and then also that person. It's not even just finding the person; it's building the relationship. Like things move so slowly. Here, when it, with regards to business uh, relationships and business partnerships, like it has to be years of going to sort of what seems to be meaningless dinners. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I can't tell you the amount of meaningless dinners I've been to <laughs> with this guy, where I'm just like, why, why? I don't even want to, but I went because I was like, let me maintain the relationship, and you know, he was paying. Good about it. He was paying for the dinner, so I didn't mind as well. Like. <laughs> So, uh, but then, yeah, it's now starting to. I'm starting to see the the benefits of that, the rewards from that. Where now the business ideas that we're discussing are actually very focused, and we have action items, and we're making moves through these different uh, situations. So, you know, that is, that's over two years of of building this relationship, right? So, and who knows? Maybe it's still going to be six months to a year before anything real happens with the guy. You know, we've made. I've made a little bit of money off of one deal that we did, but nothing, nothing. It was like pocket change, you know. So that's great, man. I wish you the best. 
I know that's 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 not easy to to be able to find someone from a complete different background, different upbringing. Mm-hmm. Now you're trying to blend two two different mindsets and ways of thinking to yeah. agree, right? To agree on on one vision. Yeah, and we and we we butt heads like as a lot of times we'll we'll have discussions about certain things and my idea of how to approach it versus his idea is very very different and you know it's frustrating sometimes right. but uh at the same time um you know there is a lot of things that he's a very westernized uh person um mm-hmm. and, and you know he speaks very good english and like i think he understands the western mindset and he's 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 you know he's westernized but yeah there's definitely some cultural issues there and i think for me i'm just able to deal with those things because i've been here for this long and mm-hmm. i'm i'm generally a very patient person so all right so enough enough about enough about me um let's i we we kind of jumped all over the place which is fine what were your initial impressions of china oh man i absolutely loved it I I think this is it's kind of for me it was again because I did all the research I knew what to expect mm-hmm. um I think China having having the past travel experience going to different countries really made China very easy for me I think if you've never traveled outside the US or if you've just been you know to like Mexico or Canada and you come to China it's the biggest culture shock But if you have travel experience, I think China is can can be a little easier. So for me, you know, it's it's unfair, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I think for you know, from a business perspective, from a culture perspective, um, and just seeing how absolutely developed the country was compared to how I perceived it to be. I think you know, kind of like we discussed, was in America, the they don't teach you much about. Chinese culture they don't teach you much about China in general mm-hmm. um unless you're kind of digging into your own research you're not going to find it in school and you're not going to hear about it in the news oh, yeah. oh, or yeah. maybe even in the movies right you might have just kind of a perception i think a lot of americans when we think china we think chinatown in new york or san francisco and you know you kind of set the scene in your head of kind of like a a rough you know maybe not so clean place but i mean yeah. china in itself like guangzhou the the big cities i'm talking about maybe not in the west but on the east the big cities you know guangzhou uh shaman shenzhen i got to get a chance to visit all three of those and you know absolutely clean they were uh pressure washing the street every week mm-hmm. there's always somebody there's always some guy on the road sweeping yeah. i don't he, sometimes he's not sweeping anything but he's sweeping because he's sweeping, it's, yeah. he, it's his job right yeah. Um, aside from clean, I would again so developed. Um, you you walk around the financial centers and you're looking at buildings, some of the, the largest buildings in the world, and and the design and the architecture is unreal. All of them LED lights going up and down, and you're just thinking to yourself like it's almost like stepping into the future. Um, yeah, because uh, the 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 thing about a lot of the stuff is that it's so new. You know, when you talk about cities like New York, they have a lot of Well, not not that Guangzhou doesn't have a lot of history because Guangzhou is also one of the oldest uh, cities in the world. But like, Guangzhou didn't have that much money. You know, New York has had skyscrapers since like probably the what the eighteen hundreds. You know, so like, but then some of those skyscrapers are still there. Most of them are still there today. And whereas in China, whereas in China, like a lot of the stuff that we see has come up in the last five to ten years. So they're able to build. It's much like Dubai. They're able to build these metropolises that are gorgeous and futuristic, just because they have the space and they didn't have them before. You know, and they have the money right For now. Sure. Yeah, and and to add on to that, I mean, transportation was absolutely amazing. So, aside from like you know your regular taxi buses, they also have you know their version of Uber, the Didi, which bought out Uber. Um, but their metro system, their underground you know railway, is was also very impressive. I think I've heard it's actually one of the cleanest in the world. Yeah, yeah. Were, you, were you the one telling me? I that? told you that. Yeah, BBC yeah. in two thousand because like you, like before I came here, I did so much research uh, in two thousand and fourteen. Oh man, I just I'm seeing a drone flo- floating over this restaurant right now. 
somebody's like recording the <laughs> it's good like a camera and everything anyways uh in 2014 bbc voted guangzhou's uh rail uh, subway system as the best of the world based on cleanliness based on uh the amount of places you can go to like how easily you can get around the city using the subway and then also the cost uh so like i mean just from my perspective like toronto's subway system it's three dollars. Like if you don't, it's probably even more expensive now. But um, it's it was three dollars a, a a ride. Um, if you didn't have a MetroCard, MetroCard monthly fee was like a hundred and fifty bucks. In Guangzhou, it's like one to two RNB. Like no, it's sometimes it's even less than that. It's like maybe fifty cents to like two RNB uh, mm-hmm. a ride. And it actually gets cheaper um, the more you the more you travel. Like if you travel, uh, I think it's about after the first five to ten trips, they reduce the cost by forty percent if you have a MetroCard. So like wow. I used to spend, and just to, just conversion for conversion, it's like like two two RNB is like thirty cents or something like that, like in US currency. And then I used to spend like forty bucks a month in on the subway, like uh, having a MetroCard traveling to work, and and uh, when I was studying Chinese at the time, like I was spending like forty a month. It that's was, amazing. It's crazy, and I was I was traveling a lot. Like that's it's insane. You know? Yeah, I, I was on the metro around three to four times a day, and traveling to pretty you know I guess each location took me anywhere between twenty to thirty minutes to get to. Yeah. And I, I don't think in the three weeks that I was in the city, I probably didn't spend more than twenty five dollars. Mm. Yeah, and you can get you can go everywhere in the city. There are very few yeah. places in the city that do not have a, a subway stop. Like, and 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 there are obviously more stations coming up. So, yeah. Hey, what's up guys? We will return to regular scheduled program shortly, but I just wanted to let you know about a new service that we just launched. It's a design for manufacturing service. We've hired a very, very fantastic industrial designer who has experience working with uh, doing DFM for South American manufacturers as well as Chinese manufacturers. And I think our rates are pretty reasonable in comparison to what you'd get if you're working with a company based in the US just because of labor costs, right? Um, Yeah, so what we can now do, what SSA is now capable of doing is taking a crudely drawn item, product idea on a napkin, you drew it drunk in a bar or something like that, and then taking it into 2D, uh, giving you recommendations on the bill of materials and taking you into 3D and CAD and having that formatted specifically for manufacturers, right? So we're doing a beta launch at the moment. Um, official launch date is June 4th for the beta launch. Um, for anybody that gets in before the beta launch, there will be a special discount. Uh, so if you want more details, Go to the website and shoot me an email. That's Rico at SourceFinasia.com, R-I-C-O at SourceFinasia.com, and just say DFM service in the subject line. Cheers. Again, impressed by the, the, the train system. I did the, the bullet speed train from Guangzhou to Shenzhen. Mm. That was amazing. Um, of course, you know they have the airports. So transportation, they, they're covered. They have everything. Yeah. Um, aside from that... Um, the ability to pay, I think we talked about that a little earlier. That was nice. Uh, oh, how friendly people were. I was extremely surprised. I've never been to a city, a city this big. So uh, to put it into perspective, I think um, New York City has 8 million people. Guangzhou has 13 million people. So we're talking about a 5 million people difference. The larger the cities that I've been to, I've lived in, you know, I live in Houston now fourth largest city in the U.S. I've lived in L.A., second largest city. And it's like, I've noticed the bigger the cities get, the meaner the people get. And I think that's just, it's just, maybe not mean, but it's just not as friendly. Yeah. Um, I think that's just because there's so many people, you're constantly have to dealing with everybody, rubbing shoulders. But I mean, in Guangzhou, everyone's so friendly. If you say hello, people greet you back. And it's like, people, if you, if, if it's very interesting because the Chinese culture is very kind of conservative, I have to. But if 
I have to I have to interject. <laughs> I think you have Go to ahead. give perspective on what friendly is. Cuz 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 like for me, I I I can't say that Guangzhou is the friendliest city in the world. Um but I will say well, I will, I'll I'll let you explain before I uh, before yeah. I give my explanation. Uh, did I say did I say in the world? Well, no, I'm just I'm just I was obviously oh, okay. that's hyperbole, but you know, I'm just saying like, uh, yeah, yeah. friendly so, people might get the wrong get, idea and then they come here and they're like fuck yeah. this place. Okay. <laughs> so kind of where I was going into, they're very conservative in the way they're kind of traditional, but they don't they don't speak to each other. They don't re- they don't they won't reach out and speak to strangers. Yep. But if you reach out and speak to them and let's say you needed help, you needed directions, they'll make sure you before you you walk away you know exactly where you're going or you know they'll try to help you out as much as they can mm-hmm. you know whereas like kind of the example of france somebody will just pretend like if, if you don't speak french yeah they won't speak to you in english even though they might know english and i've been you know in south america where i've had people sit in bolivia oh my god i would ask somebody something and they would just tell me to go this way and to the right and just making you know making directions up yeah whereas like china i had just such a different experience and people I felt like we're very open, very friendly. Um, whether you know whether it was through for business or non-business reasons, so mm. just genuinely nice, and I enjoyed that. I really did, and this was all throughout China. I experienced this through Shenzhen and Xiamen, um, and in Guangzhou. Mm-hmm. I do okay. So, so my perspective is this: uh, culturally, uh, China does have a a like they have very deep traditions around. How they talk to people, how they, and I think this is around Asia in general. Um, you know how you communicate with strangers or you know people that are visitors, specifically. So I think a big part of it is when you're when you're an expat, when you're a foreigner in China, you tend when you go and talk to somebody, they immediately go, "Oh wow, like I'm actually talking with somebody that's not from China. This is very <laughs> interesting for me." So then they treat you with way more uh, reverence and respect than they would the average Chinese person. You know? I can see that. Yeah. I, I can see what I have Chinese friends who have been like we've been at a bar and you know I see a group of girls and I'm like, guys, that's you know, that's the let's <laughs> uh, introduce ourselves. They're like, oh you're yeah, you're a foreigner. You can do that. We can't do that. You know, it's like there's there's oh, there's uh the, you definitely get treated differently being uh, an expat here. Um, I'd say most of the friendliness for me, at least in my opinion, comes from a curiosity of being like, "Oh, I've never seen a foreigner. I've never seen a black guy before. I've never had a conversation with a black dude. <laughs> you know, I want. We, hey, where are you from? You know, if I say Canada, they're like, "Oh, really, Canada?" Then they're like, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, I've had those conversations so many times. Uh. But then you have the other aspect of China, which is that it's a very, very aggressive place. You can see how people drive. You can see people, mm. the dudes on the scooters driving in the opposite direction of the road. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, you can see people not obeying the traffic I laws. That, I know. call that flexibility. <laughs> Flexi- people are flexible. <laughs> I, I just think a lot of. I think a lot of people in China just give zero fucks, man. Like you see people, yeah. uh, they don't wait for you to get off the subway. They don't wait for you to get off elevators. Um, and the one interesting thing to me was the skipping lines. Skipping lines. Which, yeah, there's yeah. there's no such thing as like you know forming a right queue. I mean, if you're in line, some guy will just hop in front of you. And I, I learned that very early on, actually, at the at the. Chinese consulate here in Houston. Yep. Yeah. Whereas this guy just jumped in front of me and I looked at him like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm right here. He's like, and oh, it's, just, about it's just a normal thing. Yeah. And but another thing is they're not aggressive. Like they are aggressive when they're driving, but face to face, they're, they're not aggressive people. Yeah, it's you know not. I mean? it's, it's not confrontational. It's at not. All. It's not a confrontational culture, but there is that. It's like a. I don't know. It's not. I can't say it's exactly passive aggressive, but it's like somewhere in mm-hmm. between passive aggressiveness and confrontational. So, like I yeah. talk about people getting off the train. I don't think. I don't think most people in China are like, oh, I'm gonna push this guy out of my way. I don't think that's what they're thinking. I think it's just more like, this is what I'm used to doing. And I yep. don't really care if I bump into somebody, if that makes sense. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? So like that's, it's more of that. So what I always talk, what I always, what I've learned in terms of the subway stuff and the elevator stuff is they're not 
bad people. It's more just this stuff is so new that a lot of people don't know the <laughs> courtesy or the, the, the manners involved with public transportation here. Like they're still, uh, they're still being yes and edgy. no, because I, I mean, let's say this: the, swinging doors. That's not a new thing, right? Swinging, swinging doors. Like, do like, we... like opening, like opening a door. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Doors have been around forever, right? Yeah. yeah. I've had people where I open the door, or, or uh, sorry, where somebody will open the door and I'm walking right behind them. And yeah. you know how in the new in the states, someone actually kind of like hold the door slightly for you to allow you to kind of at least. Hold it back. Sure. There, there's like these swinging doors, like they go into the apartment gates, and these things will just swing right back as soon as the person shuts. That's yeah. kind of for security reasons. Yeah, yeah. I had some guy who just opened the door and didn't slightly hold it for me to to grab it, and it just swung right back in my face. Well, but yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, yeah, yeah no. But right that's, away, this, this was my first day in China, so right away I was like, oh, okay, so that's how this works. But yeah, but that's my that's what I, that's kind of what my point is is that um, yeah. certain certain things that we've developed in Western culture in terms of public relations when you're outside and you're taking the subway or you're opening a door or whatever that stuff hasn't developed here because a lot of times China, like China was an underdeveloped place and there was a lot of farmland a lot of factories there wasn't a lot of like metropolitan cities where people open the door for you and stuff like that you know what I mean gotcha, gotcha. It's, it's very different in Hong Kong it's very different in Shanghai because those are, those have been metropolitan cities for a very long time, and they've had a very they've had an international scene for a very long time. Um, mm. So the people there know, hey, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm getting off the elevator, uh, you know, if I'm going into the elevator, I'll wait for the people to get off. Like it's just like it's different because they've been doing it for such a long time that they have that perspective. Um, and then, yeah, like I just think, like in Guangzhou, like in Shenzhen, especially Shenzhen, Shenzhen's only been around for ten years, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, people are just not used to it. They're, they're just not used still to learning, it. still learning. Right? And you'll see, it's interesting because you'll see signs. You can tell their governments put them up to help yep. educate and teach people about these certain things. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, but at the same time, this is the this is the thing, and I I I've embraced that. I love it. Like I love that. <laughs> I love that. I don't wait to to. I don't wait for the light to turn green before I walk across mm. the street. Like I just I just, you know, I become like a like a, I'm about that China life, man. So when I go yeah. to like, when I when I go to Hong Kong, and then it's like everybody's waiting. Even though there's no cars, I'm like, fuck this. I'm gone. <laughs> Savage. Savage, right there, Savage yeah. mode. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get, let's get back to... Uh, so, yeah, you're talking about the culture. Everybody was very friendly. Um, what did you learn from going to the Canton Fair? Hmm. Uh, the Canton Fair is a great place to get lost very quickly. Hmm. Um, so I knew exactly what I wanted, what, what industry I wanted to focus on and sort of, I mean, you can pretty much hit that all up in about two to three days, depending on how, how large your industry that you're working on, you're working in. Um, but when I say getting lost, I'm talking about, there is such an abundance of products and manufacturers out there that, you know, one minute, I think I was just walking and I start looking at clocks and then before you know it, I'm digging deep into different clocks and watches and styles of clocks. I'm not even in the clocks industry. I don't sell clocks or watches, but I just thought they were so cool because mm -hmm. the designs and, and kind of, you know, um, some of the features that they had on these clocks. So it's like, it's an easy place. I mean, you could spend two hours looking at, you know, one category and be in that one category if you, if you don't know what you're doing. You, there's a lot of walking. Yeah. So make sure you wear some comfortable shoes. Luckily, I, I read read up on that prior too, but I think even then I was still pretty worn out. Um, the Canton Fair, man, it's a great it's, place. It's mind bending, right? Like it's mind yeah expanding it's, kind of thing. So the way it was set up was they had like imagine like your your regular convention center, and they're already pretty massive, right? So there's three massive convention centers all in one area. Mm. And you're talking about four stories on each one. If you, if you don't know anything about the camp fair, you're talking about four stories on each one. 
And I think for me, it was just, you know, going to every phase allowed me to see what was out there, what's available, who's making it, the type of qualities you can find. And there's there's a different quality for everything, right? So if you're willing to pay the price, obviously you can get something higher quality. If you're if you're if you're looking for you know cheaper products, there's also that too. Um, and there's a different range. I mean, you know, there's people selling boats there, and then there's people selling pens. So you can find a little bit of everything, but yeah. for sure, yeah, I think for me it was looking up exactly which industries you want to hit up because there you can't see them all. Mm-hmm. You just can't. You can't visit every floor and every level and every booth because there's thousands. Of, I think it's like two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand visitors. Visitors. But yeah. I think it was like it was it was about fifty thousand suppliers, suppliers there. So. Yeah, that's and everybody just, wants your business card. So if you don't, unless you want your your business email to get hit up hard when you come back. Yeah, you're going to have yeah. hella spam after the Canton Fair, man. You have to, you have yeah. to use a fake email address. Yeah, not a fake, but I mean, create well, a different email address I and mean, get a different It's a dummy, card. dummy email address. It's just an yeah. email address you're using specifically for the Canton Fair. Yeah, and make sure the card looks a little decent. Mine, mine literally just had a logo, my name, and my email. And every person that got it was like, this is, and, and mine was like, um, I'm not going to say it, but it was like, my name in a, in a different way with like canfair at gmail.com. So they automatically, as soon as they looked at it, they knew it was like a fake, like a dummy email. Yeah. And they were like, uh, can I have your business? Can I have your real email? <laughs> and I told them, I was just like, listen, it was like, just, just email that. I was like, I check it. Don't worry. Like I'll respond. And, um, you know, everybody wants one. If you're looking at, if, if you, you could just be walking by and looking at something and they'll right away jump to you and they'll be like, name card, name card. And it's just like, yeah, because right. it's, it's like a, it's lead generation for them, uh, yeah. in, in person, you know? So they, they, mm-hmm. afterwards they spam you. Uh, I still get emails from people that I met at the Canton Fair three years ago, you know, mm-hmm. um, whenever they have like a Christmas special or they, you know, release a new product or something like that. Like it's like one of those things where I've had to block people. But yeah, I, I, I used a different email. I used one email address that I don't use frequently when I went to the Kenton Fair. There you go. Yeah. And another, yeah, another thing about when you, when you're talking to a lot of these guys, um, I think something that was important for me was writing everything down. Um, when you start talking to suppliers, and I, this is just from previous experience dealing with, you know, companies in China is pricing changes frequently if you don't know what the real price is. So whatever price they give you, make sure you write it down and make sure you know who you're talking to. So what I did, I tried to stay as, you know, as light as possible. I noticed, you know, you'll have these guys walking in with luggage and, you know, to bring back catalogs and, and all this and all that. I, I, I did it very, very simple. I went in, took pictures of the products that I wanted uh, with my phone, and then I would hold up their business card, yep. take a picture of their business card, and then hand them the business card right back because I don't want, I don't even want hey, to hold their business card. You're doing it like pro style, like me. I didn't even tell you about that. That's oh, a, really? Yeah, okay. that's what I, that's what I do. If I go, if I go to the Cantor Fair now, that's what I do. And then also when I go to markets, uh, which is not that often, but like uh, recently I had a client who came through. And wanted to go to a market, so I was like, all right, let's go to a market. And I did exactly that. We, we were in a store. I asked for the business card. They give me the business card. I take a picture of the business card next to the product, and then that's nice. it. Yeah. And then I nice. throw I throw away the business card or I give it back to them. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I have this thing about throwing <laughs> away business cards. Like, I, I I don't ever want anybody to throw away my business cards. So I was just kind of like, I got this thing where I got to give it right back to them. So that way they know, like. Listen, I'm just taking a picture of it because I noticed if I carry around one catalog mm-hmm. that somebody hands it to me, even if they force it on me, as soon as the next person sees me holding a catalog, they want me. They want to give me theirs too. Yeah. So I was like, avoid that altogether. No catalogs. I literally, I just walked around with a journal and a pen for three weeks, and I think that was probably one of the best decisions I made. 
because you see again you see all these guys with suitcases and luggage and you know trying to carry around stuff and i take the business cards and then throw them away later just because uh, and then the the catalogs as well just because like i used to do that like that was one of my first jobs was i was you know i worked at a gym and i had to stand outside and hand out flyers and try mm. to get people's and i just remember when people would like either just ignore me completely or they wouldn't take my stuff or they would do something like that where they would come and talk to me first about it and then get the information and then not, you know, take the flyer or whatever. I was like, man, I have a quota, man. Like, I have to get rid of these flyers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I remember that. I was like, I couldn't go inside. I remember being in winter in Toronto and being like, man, I've got a hundred flyers to hand out. Jesus. That's a good point. I I just take them. I just take them. For them, I think their quota is getting your business card. I mean, there was, there was, Companies I'd walk up to, I was like, I'm like straight up not interested in your product. I'm just curious to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And they're like, name card, name card. Name That's card, another thing. Card, they don't yeah. say business card. I w- I'd ask them for a business card. They would just look at you. Yeah, there is they no, say name card. There's name card. There's no, like the Chinese, uh, the Chinese word for it is, is um, Ming, Ming, Ming Pian. Uh, it's like, it literally translates to name card. Like there's no, mm. yep. There's no, there's no Chinese word for business card. Like it doesn't, doesn't translate. Um, let me think. Another thing I would recommend is, so this is kind of, a, it would be dressed professionally, but dressed comfortably. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see guys walking around with suits. I think that's a little too much. Suits and dress shoes. Um, dress comfortably. I think a polo is good enough, and some khakis, and some sneaks. It's a nice pair of kicks are gonna be good. Shock absorbers. Um, let me think. What else? Oh, good piece of advice. So most places will not give you their, give you samples of their products at the camp fair. I think no, because uh, it's, it's on. It's not just that the stuff is on display. They can't they can't really carry that many samples with them. You know, there's mm. rules about space and storage. There's so many suppliers. So yeah. Makes sense. So if you go on the last day, by the way, the last day, they always shut down early. But if you go on the last day, you can, if you note down which suppliers, you know, which products you're really interested in, you could probably go back and get samples of those products. So you can walk away with some physical yep. instead of just having a picture. Yeah. And I was able to do that several, with several times. Um, some, you know, sometimes they'll make you pay for it. Sometimes they'll give it, they'll give it to you for free. Um, but I would also let them give them a heads up in advance to know, hey, can I come back on the last day and get a sample? Some some of them are absolutely no. This is the only. This is just for display in, in showroom. Um, let me think. Well, the food in China. Food in China was a little rough. I yeah, think that was the I talk, hardest. I talked to you about the food stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the hardest. But aside from that, food becomes easier in China when you're here. When you know how to use the apps and you have, you know, WeChat set up and Alipay set up, and you can order food. Like mm. I eat. Like today, I had two. Uh, I had two salads. Bro- the first one was broccoli, egg, shrimp, avocado, um, and then the second one was chicken breast, tuna. Uh, broccoli and tomatoes you know so it's like uh, I, yeah, I, I eat that every day it gets delivered to my office like it's all good that's nice yeah I, I didn't get a, to, to get a chance to learn how to, how to how those apps work so I would constantly it was always a hunt for you know what what, what am I going to eat today now I personally I'm like you I'm a healthy eater so when it comes to finding healthy quality food, yeah, it can be a little difficult sometimes. And I think the, the the hardest thing I had trouble finding was like a nice, a nice salad, kind of like the way we're used to it, you know, in the U.S. Nice, yeah. cold, fresh cut up salad. Honestly, man, here, that stuff is so new here; it's crazy. Like if you if you cut to cut to two, over two years ago, I, there was literally one salad place I could think of to order from. You know, like and all the and the app with thousands of restaurants. It was like one salad place. Oh man, that stuff is so new. Juice, juice, like fr- freshly squeezed juice and all that. Stuff. That stuff came up in the last two years, man. Like, huh. It's it's so crazy. Yeah, everything there is cooked. The vegetables are cooked, and mm. another thing was like the water. That was that took me some. You know, at first when I walked into a restaurant and they they served me hot water, I was like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing is they don't, 
You know, in the U.S., especially here in Texas, everybody wants cold, ice no, cold it's, it's, water. That's yeah. every, everywhere outside of China, for sure. Okay. And then, but China, it's like, you, you show up to the restaurant, and the guy's serving you hot water, and I'm sitting there looking at it like, hot water. But I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kid you, Rico. After my three weeks there, yeah. I'm so used to it that now, back here in Houston, I've been here now for... You drinking, you drinking hot water? Day. I drink hot water. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> I, I start my morning with hot water. Today, I actually skipped my coffee because I started drinking hot water and I was like, maybe I don't want coffee. Maybe I want a hot liquid. And hot water is really what I... That's hilarious, man. That's very interesting. Yeah. For for me, I, think, I, I, I don't... I'm not a hot water guy, but I, I'm, I've, I've become more open to room temperature water. Like before, I was always yeah. like cold water, winter, oh, summer, yeah. or whatever. But I think since I came to China, I'm like, oh, okay, room temperature is fine, or cold, like a, you know. Dude, I don't really like cold water. I actually prefer room temperature. So the hot water was a very easy thing to transition into. Mm-hmm. Now, well, it's I weird it was- though. It's weird because like you know, it's hot. Like it's literally hot. It's just weird. Like I, when I, the first time I drank hot water, I was just like, it's like a weird. Like I'm just not used to that. You know, I was like, this is not tea. This is not coffee this is not hot chocolate this is water but it's really hot you know it's it's it's, a, so, it's kind of a strange you, you want to know what's interesting that i think i, I kind of psychologically like tricked myself kind of liking it mm-hmm. i read up because I, I you know I, I think anytime something was out of the ordinary i would read up on it yeah so hot water i did read up on it when i was there and i was like you know why why, why do they drink hot water well it's supposed so to be back good in for the your day, exactly and back in the day they did it to kill the bacteria in the water but then it, i started reading more and it was it flushes out the toxins, mm-hmm. um, helps circulate the blood, uh, relaxes the muscles, improves blood flow. And I'm sitting there looking. I was like, okay, this makes sense. And another thing, you know, to discuss in regards to health was the beds. That was another thing. Yeah, like, you got some hard ass beds. Beds. Oh man. So I, I <laughs> in total, in total, in the in the four weeks I was there, I stayed in eight Airbnbs. Yeah. I moved around a lot. Yeah. And. It was there's for the most part they were all firm. There was one bed in specific. I swear I thought I was sleeping on like a concrete block. It was just it was terrible, and it wasn't until I came back. And, and again, this is the benefits of the firm beds, and you know what they believe it's better for your back and so it, on. It, well, that's that's been that's not even a Chinese thing. That's been known for a while that you know having a firm bed is good for your back. Yeah. Yeah. But man, their firm beds compared to the firm beds here in the U.S. It's, it's a different another thing. Level. It's different. Thing. I mean, I, I, <laughs> hey man, I slept on a firm bed for damn near a year, man. Like I was, I was, it was tough. It was, it was very. T- I mean, I got used to it, and actually, yeah, yeah actually, I, I, like the first, I would say the first two to three months was really rough, and then I got used to it, and then yeah, it was like I it became comfortable for me, but like. The, when I was moving apartments and I moved into you know the downtown area, it was the bed was definitely a stipulation for me, mm. and uh, I, my bed right now is probably the most comfortable bed that I've slept on in my life. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a Western style bed or uh, Western is it? super soft, gigantic? It's a, oh, I think it's, a, I, think it's okay. a que- I think it's a queen size, and obviously I, I live by myself. I heard that market's actually it's pretty it's growing pretty big and they sell you know um, Western beds I guess Western beds to expats for high prices. Yeah, I mean the well I don't know about the expats for high prices, but like when you move into an apartment in general, uh, it's already furnished. So the apartment that I moved into, they they I think they were used to having expats live like like actually it's not even a not just apartment like the um, the real estate agent that I found, they they were managing multiple properties, and I think they were just used to having a lot of expats live in their properties. So they had like very nice, comfortable beds, and you know, they they kind of understood what my needs were. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I um, more on quick some some touch ups on the health. I was really impressed with uh, how energetic people are, how active you know, uh, the Chinese culture is, I mean, you, I would, I would walk around and I'd go to parks, uh, when I ever get a chance, you know, I'd, I'd, I like to go for runs because, you know, they, 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 there weren't too many gyms around that I was able to locate. 
So running was my alternative. It was faster. And I would go to the, to this one specific park. It's the largest park in Guangzhou in the city, uh, in Lieda, over right by you. And I was fascinated by seeing so much, so many older people uh, were kind of working out and doing things, whether it was Tai Chi. Um, there were some in a group who I swear they're probably in their 60s. And it looked like they had their own form of hacky sack that they were playing. Mm-hmm. And it's just it was very impressive. And I, I, I kind of became more curious to understand, like, how do these people still do it? How are they in their 60s, 70s, and they're still this active? Where in the U.S., typically people kind of start slowing down at those ages. But here, you have a large group of people who are continuously active. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with your, your diet. A lot of it has to do with, with the constant walking you're doing on a daily basis, right? You're constantly moving your muscles. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting was um, I was reading on was the squatting. So squatting is kind of like this old school thing that, you know, um, people used to do before chairs existed. Mm-hmm. But um, squatting in the Chinese culture is still, is still relevant today. You, you'll see some people squatting well, you know, you, on the side of the road. Yeah, well, you know where part of that comes from is how, you know, the squat toilets, right? So mm-hmm. people grow up using squat toilets. You can see it with kids. Like, that's the best way to, to see how people end up like that is like i see little kids um if they want to use the toy like this is something that happens in china is like the little kids have like a little uh i don't know how to describe it it's like a little opening to their pants at the back Mm -hmm. and and front and then they can pull that open and use the toilet right so like a lot of kids will just like will be rolling around with that thing open and then they'll go and like pee in bushes, or they'll poop in a <laughs> in a in a public area, and uh, you know that they, they just squat down and, and do it, right? So that that is a very normal thing that people do, and it was worse before. Like people were doing this way; it was way more prevalent ten, fifteen years ago, uh, before you know the the government try to get people to stop doing that because they had so many expats coming through. Um, so, so, so if you look at the average 20, 30 something year old in China, they probably grew up squatting and pooping and peeing outside when they were little kids until they were four or five years old. And then on top of that, they probably grew up using the squat toilets themselves. So that's just become something that they just do. Like it's, you know, people just be hanging out waiting for a bus and just squat. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just like they're not, you know, it's like they're obviously they're not as adults using the toilet in public, uh, but they're they're just squatting because it's like comfortable, you know? right? Right. So again, it was it kind of sparked my interest, and I started looking into it more, and um, and that is you know the bathroom thing is, is a reason, but on a health on the health side, it was actually I think it was an institute in Canada mm. that had led done some research on like the benefits of squatting uh-huh. and they said that when you squat um there's a there's this fluid in your body it's called synovial fluid and it actually kind of releases in your body and and lubricates your joints uh-huh. and it does this when you're squatting so and they say that people that squat on average live three years longer than people that don't hey man uh you know i for a long time all the exercise gurus that I've been following have been proselytizing about the benefits of squatting. And you know, I, yeah. I've been squatting for a while. Like I wasn't squatting for a while, but I've been squatting for a couple of years. My current exercise routine requires me to squat every time I work out. So, you know, and I definitely see the benefits. I definitely see uh, the, the advantages to that. I, and I, you know, I encourage, and it's, I encourage a lot of people to, to, to squat in their daily routine or exercises, you know. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast episode. Um, so like I said, this is part one, part two. Part one was more focused on, you know, just uh, Ahmed's experience coming to China you know, sort of the cultural stuff, the Canton Fair, uh, and and uh, and a little bit more about you know uh, 
just you know just his perception uh, first impressions i would say of 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 chinese culture and things like that uh in part two we went a little bit deeper into the negotiation the actual sourcing side of things the advantages of being in china you know how to like what happens when you go to a factory what happens when you're negotiating prices what are the best things to say what are some things that you shouldn't say um if you want to protect your ip and and things like that so and also a little bit more about you know what he didn't like about china we talked a lot about what we like about china but also touch on what he didn't like about china so stay tuned for part two that's going to be next week uh for now if you're enjoying the podcast of course you can listen to old episodes but uh we also have uh, the youtube channel source fine asia on youtube at this stage i think we have 25 videos up including uh old podcasts that i've done um you know we have is it a factory part one part two one is a deep dive with a case study i have day in the life of, of day in my life 25 year old ceo i have uh five days in nantong there's a, a ton of videos up there so check them out and uh please do share and like because uh, i'm trying to grow the channel all right cheers but anyway though she got it on smash like mashed potatoes Champagne, I got Cisco and Kool-Aid, why go to the movies?